So today we are wrapping up um, our series, um, Weird Like Us, where what we've been talking about is this idea of, of moving from giving to generosity. Americans as a whole are great at giving. Right? Someone gives an inspirational pitch, you see a, a, a video, maybe, um, maybe someone has some really moving slides, There's someone's very inspirational, or they use guilt, and we're like, yes, sign me up, how much, you know, how much should I write? We're great at giving, but what we've been talking about in this series is how do we move from giving to generosity? Because generosity, is more than random acts of kindness. Now, I love random acts of kindness. I love random acts of giving. But generosity is the way that you order your life around the practice of giving. And, and the, for so long, we've, been, we're, we've lived under the impression that to give, that we need to be sold on something to give. And generosity begins to, generosity flips that. And generous people don't need inspiration or, and they don't need guilt. Generous people have ordered their life around giving to others. So at the beginning of the series, I made you this promise. The first promise was this, that if you learn to be generous, you will give more, you will save more, and you will consume less. You will give more, you'll save more, and you will consume less. Except for the, the one group of people um, I said that won't um, save more is the group of you who are hoarders, and you have more money than everyone else in this room, you will simply give more. But the rest of you, you will save more, You'll give more, you'll save more, and you'll consume less. And then Jesus makes this promise. Jesus says, happy are those who order their life around generosity. Remember the verse he said, it is more blessed, but the word blessed there literally in the Greek means happy or fulfilled. Happy are those who have ordered their lives around generosity. Now, most Americans, we talked about this last week, most Americans have ordered their lives around the, the consumption assumption, which is this. If it comes to me, it's for me. If it comes to me, if I earn the money, it is my money. If it comes to me, it's for me. And the problem is, the problem is, is that we end up on this, this ridiculous cycle of we spend money, and then we, we spend more money than we earn often, and then um, we, 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 are, we end up in debt. I think I read somewhere like a ridiculous percentage of Americans spend 105 to 110% of what they earn. So we spend way too much. We spend at least everything that comes in or sometimes more. So, and then what happens is then we end, up, um, we end up with no margin. And the reason that so many of us feel poor or that we have no money, now there is a group of you, there is a, a group of you who you really are Poor, right? You, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, or maybe you're out, out of work. But most of us don't fall into that category. But the reason you feel poor is because you have no margin in your life. And when you have no margin, you feel that you're at risk because you are, right? You, you get sick or something happens, and if you have no margin, right, then you have something to worry about. So what happens next is you end up worrying. And it's just this kind of vicious cycle. You know, you spend. You, um, you spend, you go into debt, you work, uh, you uh, can't remember the vicious cycle. I think, it, uh, do I have it up there? Um, you, you spend, you go uh, into debt, you uh, worry, and, or you have no margin, and then you worry. And then, because you're worried and because you're anxious, it's like stress eating. You end up spending more money. I mean, that's, at least that's what I do. Like, the times that I think I'm most stressed, I feel like I have the least amount of money. Then I make the dumbest financial decisions ever. There's something about it. And then I'm in worse condition. And so there's this cycle. And what we talked about last week was this, that Jesus confronts head on the assumption consumption, the idea that if it comes to me, it's for me, and that Jesus actually also deconstructs the myth of ownership. 
Jesus deconstructs the myth of ownership because what Jesus says, and we talked about the story of the man who built the barns, is at, so the story basically, synopsis goes like this. This man has tons, tons of, has an overabundance of wealth and he's like, what should I do? I'll build bigger barns. And then at the end of the story, his life is demanded from him. And Jesus says, then he turns to him and it's like, when you die, who's gonna get your stuff? It was never yours in the first place. You were simply a steward. You were simply managers of resources that have been entrusted to you. And so Jesus really deconstructs this idea that what we have, that we're owners of what we have. And then we talked about this, that, that generous people, generous people do not assume it is theirs to consume. Generous people do not assume it is theirs to consume. So today I want to get practical. And I want to return to our definition of generosity, which is kind of clunky but I stole it from someone else, and if you don't like it, well, it, I like it. So, okay, it is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of your personal financial assets. And so I kind of just want to walk through those, those various areas today, and then I want to end with, um, with some wor the words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. So to, pre to be premeditated means this. It means you have a plan. It means that you have a plan. Now, some of you, the minute I start talking about plans, you start freaking out because you're like, I am not a planner. But the truth of the matter is that all of us have a plan. Some of you just don't realize you have a plan. But all of you have financial habits. And if someone were to follow you around with a notepad, they would realize that there is a pattern of the ways that you spend your financial resources. You have a plan. The problem is you just don't realize you have a plan. And one of the things I realize over and over, both in finances and even in our spiritual life, is this. You drift towards that which is bad, and you plan towards that which is good. You drift towards that which is bad, and you plan towards that which is good. The things in your life that you just kind of drift into are often the spaces that you don't want to be. Like you wake up one day and like, how did I end up as this type of person? How did I end up in this job for 30 years that I never wanted to be in? Or how did I end up... Um, you know, how did I end up in all this debt or how did I end up, you know, in this relationship that I feel stuck in now that I never wanted to be in, but it just was so comfortable, right? We drift into that which is bad and, and we plan towards that which is good. And so all of us have a financial plan. The problem is we just don't know what that financial plan is. And for many Americans, the financial plan looks something like this. It looks like consume everything I earn, and then maybe save a little bit, and then I give out of the, the spare change. I give out of the crumbs on my table. I, I refer to this as 3S giving. I'm going to have some fun little, like, I never do this. I'm so practical. Don't get used to it. Um, the 3S giver, which is this, spontaneous, right? We give out of spontaneity. Someone, someone inspires us. Someone makes us guilty. And so we're like, yeah, I'm going to give. We, we we give out of spontaneity, we give sporadically, so there's no rhyme or reason. Some years we give a lot, other years we give a tiny bit, it's just kind of sporadic. And then finally, we give sparingly. We give from the crumbs of our table, not from the, the, not from the, 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 the gifts that God, God has given us. And, and, and if someone guilts you or inspires you or you go to a fundraiser, often you end up writing checks. But the interesting thing is that generous people don't need to feel guilty. Generous people don't need to feel guilty. Generous people can say no because they've already decided how they're going to spend their money. Okay, so you need a plan. Next, calculated. Calculated means this. Generosity requires a specific amount or generosity requires a percentage. And I'm a big, uh, big fan of 
giving a percentage. Now, we can talk about tithing in church and all that, but that's not what this about is about. I think it's important that you decide, you sit down and decide, what percentage of my income am I going to give away? Right? What percentage of my income am I going to give away? And then you make that your priority. You set that aside first. So whatever it is, let's say you decide, um, I think the average American, when they do their taxes at the end of the year, looks at their, they look at their taxes and realize they gave away about 5% of their income. So let's just say you're average. Right? So you decide, I'm going to give away 5%, but then I'm going to make this a priority. It's going to be the first 5% that I'm going to give. And then the next thing you need to do, and this is just free financial advice, but you also need to do the same thing with savings. Right? You give first, you save second, and you consume third, which completely flips the script. Most people consume then save, then give. But, but generous people, they give first, or the, they give first, they save, then they consume what's left over. And when you do this, you can become a 3P giver. I told you, so practical. <laughs> you give a percentage, it's a priority, and then this is my favorite, it is progressive. It, it continues to grow. As, as you go through your, your life, you continue to increase the percentage that you give. Um, there's a story uh, about a, a, a pastor who decided that he was going to reverse tithe, which meant that he was going to give away 90% of what he earned, and he was going to live on 10% of what he, what he earned. Now, he, he did this because he'd been, he had a ridiculous windfall um, where he sold a, or wrote a book, and it sold a ridiculous amount of uh, copy, or sold a ridiculous number of books. But the interesting thing is that him and his wife, when they were in seminary, made the commitment that they were going to be progressive givers. And so they'd already, long before they had this big financial windfall, had already been moving up the percentage that they gave away their income. I think they were at 30 to 40% already of their income that they'd chosen to give away. And so then when it came, when they had this ridiculous windfall, they were still living in the same house that they'd bought like 30 years ago when they started ministry. And so when they had this ridiculous amount of money come into their hands, it was easy for them to say, yeah, we're going to live on 10% and we're going to give the other 90% away. It's progressive. It continues to grow. John Wesley, I've told you the story over and over, but John Wesley, when he was in his 20s, set an amount of money that he was going to live on, and then he gave everything else away for the rest of his life. So for his entire life, he lived in this fixed income and then gave everything else away. First, you need to... Um, so I got to remember what my, my things were. Um, so I told you it's hard to remember. Um, the first one is you've got to... Uh, pr pr <laughs> okay, I'm going to get this. Uh, got to decide. You've got to have a plan. Second, you've got to calculate. And third, you need to designate where your money goes. You need to designate. And this is the fun part. Because where your money goes, there your heart goes. If your heart is drifting in places and ways that you don't want your heart to go, the way to redirect your heart is where your finances go. Jesus says it in Matthew. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think it's fascinating because I've actually seen this in my own life. Where my financial resources are going, I find my heart drifting towards those things. Now, one thing I wanted to, uh, a couple things I wanted to say. First, saving is how you say yes to you and your future, and I think you should all be saving. But generosity is how you say yes to what's important to you. Saving is how you say yes to you and your future, but generosity is how you say yes to what's important to you. Now the question is, so we're, we're, going to, um, we're going to have a plan, and then we're going to calculate. What am I going to give away? What percentage? What amount? You decide. I don't care. But then the question is, how do I decide where it is that I give my money? 
And I think there's two ways, two questions which really help us answer that question. The first is, what breaks your heart? And the second thing is, what are you grateful for? What breaks your heart and what are you grateful for? The reason you should give to your local church is not because your pastor guilts you or because you're hit over the head with some Bible verse and from Malachi about storehouses, <laughs> right? That's not the reason you should give to the church. You should give to your local church because you're grateful for your local church, because of the impact it's made in your life. And listen, if, if you are not grateful enough to be giving to your local church, you really need to, to find a local church that you're grateful for. And I, I mean, I, I believe that with all of my heart. You need to find a community that you are grateful enough for that you can invest in it. But the second thing is this. You need to also invest in the things that break your heart. And the problem is, and I see this happen all the time. In fact, I used to work with, uh, do some political organizing on college campuses. And I would talk to other organizations that were doing similar work. Um, and so I talked to IJM, and I talked to Charity Water, and I talked to World Vision. And they'd all tell me a really similar story that you know, um, IJM would show up on campus and everyone on campus was like, we have to end human trafficking today. Like, this is the challenge. You know, and everyone's go out and gonna end human trafficking. But the next week, Charity Water would show up and they'd have these really cool like yellow buckets and all the students on campus would be carrying them around and they'd talk about the plight of, of, of young women who'd have to walk five miles to get water and how it's so dangerous. And then everyone on campus is like, we have to get water for everyone. Then the next week, World Vision would show up on campus and World Vision would talk about this community in Malawi that they're working with and how they have this transformational model where it all works together and everyone's like, yes, we have to do something about that. But the problem is, when I talked to the, the people who worked with college students, they said the problem is that college students were always jumping to whatever was shiny and whatever was sexy. And, and so no one was committing long-term to a cause. They were just kind of jumping from one cause to the next. And so I think in your life, you need to find something that breaks your heart. You need to discern what is that calling that God has placed in my life? Is it a neighborhood? Is it a, a particular cause? Is it a place across the world? Like, what is that thing? And then invest in that one thing and be willing to say no to other things. Because everyone's always wanting to hit you up. You know, you're walking down the street and there are people with clipboards yelling at you. Do you want to save the children? When you are generous, you can say, no, I do not want to save the children. But you don't have to, don't say that. Um, I want to sometimes. Um, do you care about the environment? No, no, I don't. Anyway, generous people. Generous people can say no. Because generous people have predecided. Um, where it is that they're going to give their resources. And they're investing, and their heart goes to, towards these things. And if you don't believe me and you don't believe Jesus, Oprah also agrees with me. Oprah said the exact same thing. <laughs> Last year I was doing some research on this, and I ran across an article from Oprah where she said, you need to like pick an organization, and you need to invest in that organization. Instead of like giving a bunch to a bunch of different organizations, find one thing, one thing that your heart, that really breaks your heart, and then invest your time and your finances in that thing. Find something where you can give both of your time and your money, and that's how you begin to change your heart. That's how you begin to change your priorities. If you're just constantly giving like little 10, 15, $20 donations to everyone who asks you for money, that's not gonna ever change your heart. But if you find something that breaks your heart, it's like, this is the cause that I'm gonna invest my money in. So what are you grateful for? And then what breaks your heart? Because you give from a grateful heart and you give from a broken heart. Okay. I, I don't think I got my map. I have this great map of the Mediterranean Rim. So imagine what the Mediterranean Rim looks like. 
You've got Rome up here. You've got Ephesus kind of over here. And then way down here, you've got Rome. You got it? Yeah, it's, I did a good job. <laughs> Our pro presenter, this is, you don't need to know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So we have software we use for slides. And when I sync it up, it doesn't sync JPEGs. And so you have to send the, the photo. I forgot. It's my fault, not the slides, people's. But anyway, Mediterranean Rim. Um, in, in, the early, in the early church, Jesus, um, when you read the writings of Jesus, Jesus never talks about tithing. He actually never talks about giving to the church because the church didn't exist yet. But he also never talks about giving to the temple. Now, the reason is, is not because Jesus didn't believe in supporting the temple. The reason was because at the time of Jesus, giving to the temple was compulsory. It was a tax. There was a temple tax. So instead of a tithe, it was like 10%, but you didn't have a choice. You, gave ten, you sent 10% to the temple. And you sent 10% to the temple whether you lived in Jerusalem or whether you lived somewhere far off in the Roman Empire. In fact, it became such a problem because there were so many, uh, as you had the, the Jewish diaspora all over the Roman Empire, you had so much money being sent from far out provinces back to the temple that Rome actually tried to pass a law outlawing it because it was taking so much money out of the local economy. And so um, when Jesus was alive, the understanding was is that you would just automatically send money to the temple. But Jesus is always encouraging, um, always encouraging his followers to give to the poor, and that was over and above the money they were already using to support the temple. Now, there's this really fascinating passage in, in 1 Corinthians that we're going to read in a minute, 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul is urging the local church to raise money for the church in Jerusalem. Now, the church, Jerusalem, um, is, is where all the fun went down. You know, this is where Jesus died, the resurrection took place, the early Christians kind of had their headquarters in Jerusalem. But the problem was they were outside the temple system, and so because they were outside the temple system, they weren't getting jobs, no one was hiring them, there was insane poverty, there was starvation, they were in really bad shape. And so what Paul begins to do is Paul begins to go around to all these churches that he's planting all around the Mediterranean rim. So Paul is planting churches in Rome and Ephesus and Galatia, all these churches. And, and, and he, he then begins to go to these churches and say, look, are you grateful to what the Christians in Jerusalem did? Like the faith that you have is because of their sacrifice, because they were willing to risk it all. Like we forget what a risk the, the Christians in Jerusalem um, were willing to make. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, they saw the resurrected Jesus, and then they, be, they got in the faces of the very people who crucified Jesus, and they said, we don't care what it is that you say or what it is you will do to us. We are going to witness to the resurrected Jesus. And because of their testimony, and because of their witness, and because of their, their fearlessness, this message of Christianity is able to spread all throughout the Mediterranean rim. And so Paul says, are you grateful for what they've done? If you are, you also need to be brokenhearted for their plight. And so then, in 1 Corinthians 16, we see the first ever passage about giving, taking a collection in the local church. And I think it's instructive because I think it also ties in with what we just talked about. So here it is. Um, now about the collection for the Lord's people. And Paul says, now about the collection for the, for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do, and probably what I told the Roman churches to do, and what I told the churches in Ephesus to do. On the first day of the week, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. You need a plan, right? Just set this money aside. You need a plan. In fact, what, uh, and then he continues on. 
It needs to be designated. He said, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. How much should we set aside? In keeping with your income. Essentially, you should set aside a percentage of your income, right? It should be designated. It's designated to the church and it's designated to the Christians in Jerusalem. And it's calculated. It's a percentage, essentially it's a percentage of your income. In fact, what the Greek word in keeping with your income means, what the Greek is, is to whatever extent one has prospered, set aside that amount of money. My guess is, though, that they then begin to press Paul. Well, what percentage? You notice Paul doesn't prescribe a percentage here. So what percentage, Paul? I don't know. How grateful are you for what the gift of the Roman or the Christians in Jerusalem? How broken is your heart over their plight? The fact that they have no food, the fact that they're suffering now in Jerusalem because of the witness that they gave to the risen Lord. Paul's like, I'm not going to tell you, right? Based on the amount that you've been gifted, based on the amount that you've been gifted, decide what it is, calculate what it is you're going to give. How grateful are you? How brokenhearted are you? And then he says, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. This is the first time we ever see collections being taken in the local church. And Paul's like, look, you've got to have a plan. You've got to designate where it's going to go. And you've got to calculate the amount that you're going to send. Do this ahead of time. So then when I arrive, he says, then when I arrive, I'll give you a letter of introduction and we can send the money off. Not when I arrive, then we'll do like a service and I'll show you some pictures of the plight of the Christians in Jerusalem and how hard their life is and how they're starving. No, you've already pre-decided. You've already set this money aside. And then what I think is really interesting is Paul then pulls himself out of the financial loop. He's like, don't give the money to me. Like, Paul is already worried about how it looks to, he, he can already see what's going to happen with televangelists. He, I just, he can just see it. He's like, look, don't give it to me. Set it aside, and then when I arrive, we'll give it to a group of men um, who will take it to Jerusalem. Now, this just as an aside, but I think you should know this. This is the reason that our church made the decision to hire an, an outside accounting firm that works with churches to handle our books. A lot of churches have, you know, an internal person do it, which is, which is fine. But we made the decision that when people trust us with their resources, that we want them to know that they have full confidence in those resources. And so we hired an outside accounting firm. The other thing we do to, to show, to give confidence is that um, you can go to the website, thetablechurch.org forward slash giving, and we have the quarterly reports. So first quarterly report, second quarterly report, third quarterly report. So you can see how your finances are being spent, where your money is going. Because there needs to be, I think, I mean, Paul doesn't get into the nitty gritty, but I honestly think the reason he takes himself out of the loop is because he thinks there need to be some sort of financial accountability, which I believe. That's kind of a side tangent, but it's something I, it's really important to me because I just see way too many churches mismanage money. Anyway, that's the side point. It's not the sermon. They had a premeditated, they had a calculated, designated approach to giving because that's what generous people do. Generous people give first, they save second, and then they consume the rest. They give first, they save second, consume the rest. And that totally flips on its head the modern idea that we spend everything that comes to me because if it comes to me, it's for me, and then I save a little bit. Often the little bit you save, your employer does for you, and then you congratulate yourself for saving. But you didn't even have enough self-discipline self to save it for yourself. Your employer had to save it for you. And then whatever crumbs are left over, someone pulls your heartstrings, you'll write a $20 check. I guarantee you that is way more fun and way more life-giving to say ahead of time, I'm going to designate this portion of my income that I'm going to give to something beyond me. 
And, and I think you should choose. You are not going to hear many pastors say this. I think you should choose something you're grateful for, and I hope that's your local church. But you should also choose something that breaks your heart. You should choose something outside of your local church to give to. You should choose something outside of your local church to give to. That's why every year, um, this year we're going to do another Advent offering. We'll tell you more about it in a couple weeks. But last year, our church raised 10% of its total budget during our Advent offering. It was a huge sum of money. And then we sent it to other organizations that were working with issues that broke our heart, um, both immigration in our city um, and then um, at-risk students, because those are the things that broke our heart. And we said, you know what? We could keep this money for ourselves. We could figure out some way we could spend this money on ourselves, but we want to model what it means to give to those things that break our heart. And so I think someone asked me once, aren't you afraid that like, by talking like this and by doing an Advent offering that people are going to start giving money to organizations outside your church? I said, no, that's the point. Right? It, it, you should give to your local church because you're grateful for it. I believe in tithing. Charlotte, my wife and I, Charlotte, we believe in tithing. We think it's the right practice. But that's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is you need to make a decision to live a generous life because if you do, it will change your entire financial future, particularly for those of you who are just starting out. Because the older you get, the, hard, the more entangled you become with your finances. I guarantee you because the numbers on your balance sheet or the numbers on your debt sheet or whatever it's called, there, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you are going to be more and more trapped because then you have a more expensive car, and then you have a mortgage, and you have all these different things, and you will feel increasingly financially trapped. It is way easier. It is way easier when you're starting out to make the decision that I'm going to live a generous life, that I'm going to give first and save second and consume third because as you get older, it becomes way harder. And so this is not, I would love for you to give to your local church, and we're going to talk about um, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about amazing things we're going to do, and we hope that you'll give faithfully. But this is about reorienting your life around generosity and finding things that you are grateful for and finding things that break your heart, investing your time and your resources. So just to recap, there's two options. You can spend everything that comes to you. You can go into debt. You have no margin, and then you can worry. And it's a cycle to go around and around. Or you can choose to give, to save. You can choose to give, to save, and then consume. And I think when you live that way, you'll discover peace. And Jesus says, happy is the person. Happy is the person who's ordered their life around giving rather than receiving. Okay, final thing. What do I want you to do? I want you to have a financial plan. I don't care what your financial plan is, not here to tell you what that is. But you need a financial plan. You need to write down how it is you're going to spend your money because you drift towards what is bad. And if you don't know what your financial plan is, I guarantee you it's probably not the best plan. Second, you need to calculate how much and how often. How much am I going to give? Is it going to be an amount? I think a percentage is what you should do, but however, like this is not about giving you a prescription. Right? How much? And then finally, designate. Where is it that I'm going to give my money? Some people have like a fund. I was talking to someone after church today. They came up and they said, I have a fund for like a generosity fund for what breaks my heart. And they said, then when I, I, I like I'm still looking for that opportunity. Like I just moved to the city, but I'm setting aside that money. So if you haven't yet like found that thing where you feel like God is breaking your heart for something, go ahead, put that, put that amount aside and just say, okay, God, can you show me where it is that you want me to invest this money? But designate that you are going to set aside money for generosity. What is it that you're grateful for? What is it that breaks your heart? And that's it.
No more talk about generosity. You can go back about feeling good about your spending habits. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> God, I just thank you that, I thank you for the generosity of your followers throughout this, the past 2,000 years. I thank you for all the universities and the schools and the hospitals and the amazing places that have been built to serve other people because people made the decision that they were going to, they were going to give first and consume last. And I pray, I pray that you would just continue to reshape the way we think about money. I pray you'd help us to, to not think about it as, as, as it being ours, as us being owners, but instead help us to realize that we are managers, that we are stewards of that which you've entrusted to. And then I pray that you would begin to show us the things, the things in our lives that you, where you want us to invest those resources. Continue to shape and reshape how we deal with our finances so that we can be a generous people and so that we can be known by our generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.